The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Can you hear me? Yeah? Yeah. I just want to say that I'm to the, those listening recording, I'm sorry that we forgot to record the guided meditation, but we're starting now with David's talk. <clears throat> It was beautiful. Thank you, Jennifer. Now that we're all relaxed and aware, I was hearing, um, seeing a video by Father Keating, and um, it was just great. He he uh, he was talking about. Touching God and how he always wanted to be in God's presence. He always wanted to be touched by God. And it was a long video, it was about 25 minutes, and he just seemed to be touched by God the whole time. He just seemed to be immersed in this presence. And I think it's just like what we do, you know, touched by awareness. This presence of awareness is all around us and inside us and everywhere, boundless. It's who we really are. So the primary teaching, excuse me, fundamental teaching, the most direct teaching in Buddhism is to wake up. Simply wake up. Pay attention. Simple. Is everybody awake right now? Everybody conscious here? It's not always that way, right? Suzuki Roshi he was uh, uh, he went to Yosemite and he saw um, he looked up 1300 feet and he saw a waterfall he saw a river 1300 way high up 1300 feet up and then this water this massive river of water went down this waterfall 1300 feet and about a third of the way down it hit another plateau and it just splattered and, excuse me, continued on down. And he said that he felt, he saw these little drops falling down. And he said he felt sorry for those little drops. He thought they might be afraid. And it reminds me of our human condition. He says, you know, they, 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 would, they forgot. They would forget. They're part of the river. They, they're, they're just alone, falling, and they, they don't know. And then, but then they get down, and they get back into the river again, and they feel fine, safe. They forget all that other stuff, all that fear. And that reminds me of... Um, uh, 
the the talk last last month about the uh, the eight worldly dharmas, how we grab on in it to to praise and, and and recognition and power and fame and success and sensual pleasures and how like those little drops that are freaked out might want to just grab hold of somebody who they think knows what they're doing and say like me please you know make me feel like I'm okay here I'm safe here or some group you know that I'm please let me be recognized as part of this group or appreciated as part you know safe as they're falling this 1300 fear or or uh, A success in the eyes of the world have a position, a recognizable position, or escaping into some sensual pleasure. It's just forgetting. You know, I'm, I'm eating peanut butter. I'm not worried about anything. You know. <laughs> but then they join the river, and it's it's all over. It's fine. There's another river. Um, River thing by uh, Thich Nhat Han. He says, uh, <clears throat> She's like a wave who believes she is subject to birth and death. Every time she comes up and then begins to go down, she is afraid of dying. But if a wave realizes she is water, she is no longer afraid. Before going up, she is water. Before going down, she is water. And after going down, she continues to be water. There is no death. So it is very important that the wave does meditation and realizes that she, just like we just did with Jennifer, and realizes that she is a wave, but, is, but that she is at the same time water. And when she realizes she is water, she is no longer afraid of dying. She feels wonderful going up. She feels wonderful going down. She is free from fear. So we need to meditate to remember who we are, to feel safe, to enter the river of awareness. It's very important. There's a story about a rabbi, Zuza, um, and he had a small congregation. He was kind of a shy rabbi, but he had a very devoted congregation. And he was dying. He was lying on his deathbed, and he was crying. And uh, one of his congregants said, Zuza, why are you crying? Are you afraid that when you see God, that God will say, Zuza, why were you not more like Abraham? Why were you not more courageous? And, and Zuza said, no, no, I'm not afraid, that, afraid of that. And then another one said, are, are you afraid that, you're, that God's going to ask you, why weren't you more like Moses, who's a more humble and devout and full of faith? 
And she said, no, I'm not afraid of that. What I'm afraid of is that God will ask me, why were you not more like Zusa? When I was a very young Zen student, this was actually 50 years ago, Um, Suzuki Roshi was in the Zendo, and there were 55, 60 people there. It was early morning, very quiet. And he was very small. He was 4 feet 11, very little man. He was very thin. He had stomach cancer, wasted away, kind of green in pallor, actually. And we were all sitting there with him. And there's this thing in Zen, it's called a kiyosaku. It's a a stick. And somebody carries around this stick in a very formal way. And if you're sleeping, they tap you on the soft spot between your neck and your shoulder. And you bow, and you turn your head, and they whack you on that soft spot to wake you up. It doesn't hurt if if it's done well. If it's done wrong, they hit you on your bone, and it really hurts. But if they do it right and hit you in that soft spot... It makes a resounding sound all through the zendo. And it, it's like electricity through your body. It's a great Japanese invention. It's called the stick of compassion because it wakes us up. And then you turn to the other side and they give you a whack on the other shoulder. And then you bow and they bow. And they go on to the next person. Well, in this morning, sit, very calm and peaceful and quiet, I heard this kind of growl, this loud growl, and the words were, wake up, but it was a a scream, a growl, an impassioned scream, wake up, and then Before you knew it, Suzuki Roshi had whacked everybody, all six, this little guy, perfect wax on every person. He was magic. And it was like lightning. It just like, it just boom, 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 whack. And it was over, done. This was his passion for us to wake up. There are all kinds of Zen stories about waking up, just being here. There's this uh, Zui Ten, was a Zen master. He, he uh, was alone in his uh, Zendo much of the time. So when he was alone, he would say to himself, he would say, Zui Ten? And he would say, yes. <laughs> David, yes. Lots of stories. All these, all these koans and Zen stories are all, about, are all about waking up. So, 
what is this awareness? What is this waking up? That sounds so, you know, right in a way, but in another way, what is it? What are we talking about? You know, just waking up, being aware. So I have an experiment for you to help clarify that a little bit. So put your hand in front of your face and be aware of your hand. The hand is the object of the awareness, so be aware of the color of the hand and then the shape of the hand. And then let your awareness fill the room. And then if you can maybe hear, well, there's some hearing, some, some sounds outside here. Here, be aware of those sounds. Or if you can, be aware of the inner sound in your ear. A kind of a ringing, a ringing in the ear, being aware of that. A teacher calls that the sound of silence, that ringing. He also calls it the sound of angels. Now be aware of your face. And notice how the sensations of the face are always changing. The sound is always changing. The hand is maybe changing, trembling a little bit. And then notice now the awareness. Put your awareness back on the awareness. Now the awareness cannot exist without the hand. or the ringing in the ears, or the sound, or the space. But the awareness is separate from the hand. The hand is the object. You can put your hand down now. Now close your eyes and think the thought three times. Think this thought. I am a neurotic mess. And be aware of that thought, where that thought is in your head, what it might sound like, any way you can be aware of that thought, any contractions of muscles that are making that thought. So we're, we're not our thinking. Our awareness is not our thinking. So even thoughts like I'm a neurotic mess, even those kind of destructive thoughts. Not me, not mine. We want to purify ourselves. We want to be good people. We put ourselves down for this and that. There's so many critical self-judgmental ideas that we have about ourselves. 
we want to do this and we want to do that and we're sorry we did this and we think about somebody who said this to me and on and on and on. We just witness that with our awareness and how we're trying to purify ourselves. But the truth is, we're already pure. Awareness is pure. Consciousness is pure. And that's who we are. Conditions are always changing. Sounds. Movements of the body, sensations, tastes, thinking, feeling, always changing, but awareness does not change. Awareness is always here, just like God. It says in the... uh, the Satipatthana Sutra, that's kind of the anthem for, for this Vipassana teaching, teaches how to be mindful. It's all about mindfulness. And it says, you know, that it's, this awareness will free us from all suffering, all discontent. and covetousness for the world, that this will purify us. This sati sampajana. I love that. That's that's kind of Pali for Pali for awareness. Sati sampajana. I love the way that sounds. So rich and full. Mindful, clear comprehension. And the promise in the uh, sutra, it's a great promise. And and this is repeated um, 16 times, so it's very important, this phrase. This sati sampajana is the direct path for purifying beings, for overcoming sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of all suffering and discontent, for the attainment for the true of the true way, for realization of nirvana. Just this, just this awareness. We abide contemplating whatever, anything, the body, sounds, feelings, ardently, really really committed to this ardently sati sampajana clearly knowing and mindful and we're free from desires and discontent I want to finish with uh, one poem this is by by Hakuin he's a Zen poet All beings by nature are Buddha. That's you. As ice by nature is water. Apart from water, there is no ice. 
apart from beings, no Buddha. How sad that people ignore the near and search for truth afar. Like someone in the midst of water crying out in thirst. Like a child of a wealthy home wandering among the poor. Those who hear this truth even once and listen with a grateful heart, treasuring it, revering it, gain blessings without end. Much more those who turn about and bear witness to self-nature, self-nature that is no nature. Go far beyond mere doctrine Boundless and free is the sky of awareness. Bright the full moon of wisdom. Truly is anything missing now. Nirvana is right here before our eyes. This very place is the lotus land, this very body, the Buddha. Suzuki Roshi would say, just to be alive is enough. Just to be alive is enough. So everybody's okay right now. We're okay, right? Everything's okay. This is nirvana. Even if there's greed or hatred, even if we're thinking I'm a neurotic mess, it's okay. And this is the way to practice, develop this awareness and the mental fabrications will um, become thin and will become disenchanted with them because our commitment is to this awareness. That's how we work with our suffering, by abiding in this awareness over and over and over again. So what I'd like to do is um, get into groups of three. Yeah? Let's see what the time, time situation is. We got till 11, uh, 10.55. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, yeah, so groups of three and one group of two. And if we have time, I'll do two questions. Uh, the first question is what do I live for? Okay? So um, I think it would be a good idea for the, the first time you do this to go around and maybe just think about this for, for, you know, a little bit and say one or two sentences about what I live for. And then go to the next person and the next person. Just kind of brief. And then... And then, 
You might want to pause, but then do it again. See how it develops. And then after you go around twice, then for the remaining time, you can more open it up a little bit more if you'd like to discuss it with each other. So one group of two, and the rest threes, okay? And then I'll have a second question, and I'll ring a bell when there's the second question. <clears throat> So if you have too many, three, uh, you might want to break up into another two. I'm not sure what... Yeah. There we go. Or, or you can... We've got two, 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 two. We've got two twos. Two twos. That's, that's, that's better. If you're twos, you get to do it more. That's great. <laughs> do I live for? What do I live for? fine whatever whatever shows your commitment yeah whatever is important most most important for you
I'm on now, right, yeah. So just repeat the second question for the recording. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Come back to the group, please. So, um... What do you live for and what is keeping you from living fully for what you want to live for? That was the second question. And I would love, I'm sure we would all love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> great. I have a lot of thoughts. Yeah, good. Oh, so I came here to... I wanted to ask you this question. Uh, it's when I was five, and I was in kindergarten, and I was standing before the easel, and there was three cups of red, yellow, and blue. And I made a picture as a five-year-old little girl. And when I made that picture, I, w- I was in awe. I could not believe that I, I had made this picture. 
And it took me into a world, a safe world of art. It took me into a world of art. Mm. Now I'm a woman in my 70s. I am an artist. And sometimes I look at the work that way. Sometimes I don't. Mm. But I figured out the answer from what you said. I think I figured out the answer. What is it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So one of them is... I. I Xerox off that stuff that you sent. You know, you sent all those readings, and I think it was yours, David, that you said that uh, we have sixty to eighty thousand thoughts per day. Yeah. And in an hour, we have three thousand thoughts. And so, when I have those thoughts, like you said, I'm a worth whatever you said. I'm a mess, neurotic mess, yeah, yeah. something like that. Then I'll start feeling really bad. You believe it. I believe it. And mm-hmm. so when you said that today, I had distance from that thought. Right. There was there was no grabbing on to it. So the thing that keeps me from being that five year old girl is just that. Is these this thinking. And when you talked about Keating and being in the presence of God and knowing who we are, you mentioned the word awareness many, many times and having that that's the that's the solution or the answer it's what it feels like great, thank you I have to read this poem, sorry Um, just from what you said the time will come when with elation you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again that stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, who you ignored for another who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit. Feast on life. So in our group, when we were talking, I'm going to say... Well, anyway, it's again like the the connection of of us in that group and the beauty of what you were talking about. It was like um, like it wasn't perfect. There's so much beauty in that imperfection, just in that mm-hmm. connection. And you taught me something last time about the that healer that went into the hut with all the bumblebees, and he went in that left a long impression Mm -hmm. because he went into that hut and the bees were there and he went there to to meditate in their space Mm -hmm. and I just want to say that for myself now um, I'm going to go to an art institute and I'm going to step into myself as an artist Mm -hmm. and the bees are already there it's just like that poem that you read. Mm. So 
I just want to share that Great. with whatever I'm saying. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? Who was that by? Yeah. Oh, um. Derek Walcott. Eric Walcott. Derek. Derek, Derek, Walcott. Derek Walcott. Okay. Well, I just, you know, I can't say uh, I bring into the world any specific reason for living. Is that on? Is it? It is on, yeah, but talking to you. Okay, I can't say that I bring into the world any real specific energetic reason for being here. You know, I, 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 my first thought was like, I, my reason for living is that I was born. And so the, you know, I signed the contract, <laughs> and you know, and everything else is like socialization. Like, okay, be kind. Uh, okay, um, be thankful. Um, be better at being thankful, uh, and maybe learn Spanish along the way. <laughs> and I feel like this is all like secondary to just the fact that I was born. Exactly. And um, to sometimes um, be in this valley, I'm perplexed because I'm in the company of people that have a lot of reasons going around why they're here. And um, I want to say... I'm pretty comfortable with my insignificance. Um, I'm not going to say I am a great grandmother or or I'm I love the sunsets. You know, I'm I'm here, and like I am the wave I'm meant to be, and I will sink back into the ocean. Nice. Uh, it's a song, Fiona Apple. That's still nice that you. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so anybody else that's I can come up with that much. Oh. You are Buddha, <laughs> and and um, you know, I, I just think of awareness. You are awareness, and and that's huge. It's vast. Yeah. I think of this Jewish prayer. Um, Blessed art thou, O sovereign of the universe, who has given us life, who sustains life, and who pervades this very moment. You know, mm. that's, you're huge. Well, my husband's Jewish, so I know that prayer. And my son, who's both, he said, he came home with this joke the other day that he says embodies himself. He says, "Uh, what does a cross between a Jewish mother and a Buddhist mother, uh, you know, what does she do? And the joke is, she sits around and worries about nothing. (laughs) 
Just something you were saying reminded me of that Sylvia Borstein book that we mentioned. She has a great story in this chapter. I forget the whole context of it, but she's writing with some Muslim uh, cab driver. And uh, she asked him something about his motivation for doing his five times a day prayer. And he says, well, we're all, we're all just born in, we're like all born into this ocean and we, none of us know how to swim and none of us ask for it and here we are. And it was just something about compassion, you know, for all being in this, all being in this condition of here we are born, you know, wh- where are the instructions? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it was a sweet story. Somehow what you said reminded me of that. Anything else that uh, someone would like to express? Our group of two went back and forth with one-word answers, you know. um, Right. And what, after he would say a word, I would think it would affect me. And there was a a vibration going on, you know, between the two of us. So that was really interesting. And as people are speaking, I'm realizing that um, what I live for is to not die until... Because life keeps throwing these colors at me, you know, and I want... And then I become attached, and I grasp for more, and then I go... Then I you know, meditate and I pull myself back and and be grateful for every part of my life, you know, my stub toe or whatever. And uh, this is just a whole different way of looking at the world than I grew up with, of, of improvement, the world of improving yourself. But as a way, you could kind of look at it that this is a kind of improving myself too, you know. But my body tells me it's a good way. Thank you. Thanks. Anyone else? Okay. So. So I have another. Go ahead. Yeah, please. So um, we decided that for it's totally optional. But for any of you who are interested, that we would like to offer one private session to talk to one of us sometime during the rest of the course if you want to. So um, there's a sign-up sheet under the bulletin board out here on this. And we just put kind of an equal number of slots for the three of us, so just sign up once for one of us, and then we'll contact you and arrange a time sometime over the next few months. So um, anyway, if you're interested in that, it's uh, there's a sign-up sheet that you can sign up on the break. Okay? So... Have a break until um, until one minute from now. That's not enough. Have a have a ten minute have a ten minute break. <laughs> have a shortish break. So go to the bathroom if you need to. By um, giving a little time, we sent out a lot of material this month, and we've talked a lot today. And I would just love to know. You know, a little bit of feedback on how that's going, or what did you, what did some of those readings land for you, or what came up for you, or any questions or anything like that before we lay any more on you? Um, 
I was very interested in the, like the part where you practice not selfing and being aware of your own selfing. Um, I first was drawn to Buddhism when I heard that the idea that a person could do things that weren't based on their ego, that you mm-hmm. could speak and do. That was really interesting to me, and that's why I got interested mm-hmm. in the first place. But I thought sometimes you have responsibilities. Uh, if you're the mother of a child and the child gets into the street, you've got to be there. That's you know? right. Or if you're a citizen of a country and you feel the integrity of the country is being destroyed, I yeah. feel you have to be there. Yeah. So for me, that's always been the, the question of when, when you have actual responsibility... Uh, it's trickier to go without self. And I wonder if you have any thoughts on it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I do. That's kind of what I was going to talk about. Oh. So that's maybe, maybe I'm getting a little uh, inspiration here to go ahead and talk about what I was going to talk about. But yeah, I am. It's definitely, I mean, not self doesn't mean passive and not yeah. doing anything, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I will talk a little bit more about okay. that. But let's have, let's have some more uh, questions and oh, okay. comments. I, um, I really appreciated the article on not-self. It is a concept that I've struggled to understand, and I still feel like I'm struggling to understand it, but it, that helped quite a bit. So Good. I appreciate it. Yeah, I really like thinking of it as not-selfing, you know, mm-hmm. looking at what you're doing in the moment with your mind. Yeah, I, was, I was just going to say, I just have to add to that because I been so interested in non-self and I was so happy to see it um, because I don't understand it at all. Um, I've been listening to podcasts and thinking, well, maybe I haven't been meditating long enough <laughs> to get the concept. And It helped a little bit with the reading, mm-hmm. um, but then my question was, and I've also been practicing metta, and so like, how does the non-self Mm-hmm. Go with I. May I not? And may I be? Right. May I be safe? May, you know. Right. So that I part. Right. So it's right. Anyway, that's yeah. Well, all right. You're all inspiring me to go ahead and give the yeah. talk I was going to give. So. <laughs> any more topics or questions come up for anybody? How many, how many readings are sent out? I feel like I'm missing something. Four. One a week. I am not getting them. I have Okay, two. they're all on the website. So you can, if you've lost our website on Audio Dharma, on the left there's this whole menu of topics, you know, and one of them is Paramis. You can go there, and that's basically a link to Gil's old class, but at the top I put a link to our class. And all the readings are posted on that website, so you can always catch up. Audio Dharma, on the, the, me, the main menu on the left side has a bunch of different topics. One of them is Paramis. Okay. Go there. Okay. At the top of that page is a link to our class. Okay. Mm-hmm. The whole page is about Gil's class, but at the top I stuck in a link to our class. So you can get there, and I post all the, all the mailings there. So, yeah. Anybody else have any... Questions or topics on your mind as a result of today or the readings or this whole subject? Something did occur to me both when I was reading and then when we had the discussion about what keeps you from doing what you really want to do. This is a book that was popular 15, 20 years ago called The Way, The Artist's Way. Mm-hmm. It was a kind of a, a journal thing. It has a lot in there parallel to what we're doing. Yeah. That's yeah, all. that's a good book. That's a very wise book. Right. 
Well, you know, I had all these same questions that you all asked. Perfect setup. So um, I've had them for years, and I ha- and I feel pretty, you know, pretty interested and pretty okay with how that's going. So what I wanted to talk about really is the wisdom as a kind of balancing between some of these apparent contradictions, like like uh, like. Uh, well, emptiness and fullness, you know. We talk about emptiness a lot, and yet what we all want is to be filled with love and joy and presence and so forth. And uh, the integration of the impersonal and yet this caring and tenderness and metta that we value. Basically, the, the, con- the concept of disidentifying with things and yet being really grounded and embodied and here. And so I've worked a lot with that over the years and finding how they support each other and work together. And I've really found it most helpful, the understanding that I tried to put into some of the writings that came out, that what we're identified with is a bunch of concepts. You said it beautifully a minute ago, all the stuff that's been loaded on us, you should do this, you should do that, oh, you're so cute, oh, you're this or that, you know, whatever. All that stuff is what we've identified with, where it's natural to identify with our bodies in their healthy, youthful forms and so forth. So we're identified with those things. And we're also limited. It's like having to make it through childhood you know, with the particular families and situations and schools and everything, it's naturally limiting. You know, we're not invited to necessarily be our full expressive self in different situations. Some parts of us eventually get kind of repressed and cut off and feel unsafe to go there. And that particular shape that we kind of get shaped into by all these experiences is a lot of what we think of as ourself. You know, like, I'm, I can't do that. I'm, I'm shy. I'm not a person who can, you know, speak in public or go water skiing or whatever, you know, you think you can't do. But all those things are kind of, in effect, limitations, you know. Or some people have the opposite. They were somehow conditioned to think that you need to be the best and the greatest and the most powerful all the time. And it's absolutely unthinkable that they might fail or be wrong or anything like that, you know. So there are a lot of different kinds of conditioning that we wind up with but they're all kind of limiting ourselves and I really think all these teachings are pointing at learning how to work recognize the falseness of those limitations that we're identified with and it's very much an integration of the mind and the it's part of the mind the heart the body these things that we artificially separate that's really one whole functioning system. And when it's functioning freely and fluidly flowing and all the parts are opened and all the information that we can take in, you know, it's often been forbidden to take in certain kinds of information. You might have grown up in a family where, you know, you weren't allowed to notice certain things, like we don't talk about that or, you know, nobody's alcoholic here or, you know, various (laughs) things. Or even in school, you know, you're, yes, this is what's important to learn and you might be interested in something else, but not today. And so all that is um, channeling in a way that, I'm, I'm saying the same thing again, but that you're, we need to become aware of where we've been kind of artificially cramped and limited in some way and what we're, how we're identified with that. And it's also, of course, a source of security because it's familiar. 
And we did it for a sense of safety and belonging to begin with. So we have safety and belonging identified with staying in our little rut. And so when that begins to shift and we feel new feelings and different feelings and realize that we've been wrong about things, that can be unsettling, right? And it triggers a lot of defensiveness. So I do tend definitely to look at the integration of things that are expressed a certain way in Western psychology with the understandings of Buddhism. I think they're very complementary. And for me, it's been very helpful to look at the constructed self as what is... When we talk about not-self, we mean not that. Not that you disappear. In fact, you become more yourself in a different way of saying. So many traditions talk about the real self and you know the true self and... And Buddhism shies away from that because as soon as you make an idea out of something, you're kind of putting it out there and you've got another little cookie cutter with your ideas about it that you're trying to fit into. And so Buddhism doesn't want you to kind of make a thing out of what you are because there aren't things. That's part of the impermanence, you know, the flow, the change. As soon as you think, now I've got it, it's going to change. And so what we're really looking for is this fluidity of responsiveness. I love this Zen teaching where somebody asks a Zen master, what is the fruit of a lifetime of practice? And he said, an appropriate response. <laughs> you know, that <laughs> and, and one after another, you know, constant appropriate responsiveness to what's going on. Wouldn't that be nice? You know, and who knows what that is? One minute it might be some very strong, you know, whack on the shoulder from... You know, wake up. Another minute, it might be a very tender exploration of, you know, why am I so sleepy right now? <laughs> you know, it doesn't want to be whacked on the shoulder. It wants to be felt into. You want to sleep. You need to have your dreams. You know, the whole system works somehow. And so, you know, appropriate is not something that can be predefined. So what we're really looking to find through our practice is this maximizing our flexibility and our appropriate, suitable responsiveness to whatever happens. You know, and it... Yes, Anne? I'm sorry to talk so much, but when people talk about when you're growing up and you're modeled this way and you don't yeah. talk about this, but don't people have positive things like role models? In my yes. family, honesty was important, yes. and that's not something... You, yes. I guess it's kind of... I feel yeah. like it's getting kind of run down. Like yeah. some of the things I grew up with and the role models I had were that's, very good. That's very good. I'm glad you mentioned that. That is true. So, And I feel the same way. I'm very <coughs> grateful to my parents, and I, I don't feel like I had exactly that experience, you know. But yet there are certain... You know, they were awfully worried about me, you know, so I didn't learn a lot of take big chances... I learned a lot of be careful, honey, kind of stuff. And that, you know, that has its value. But <laughs> so I know, but I'm, so I'm talking about from the gross to the subtle. You know, there are little subtle ways in which you're a little bit afraid or a little bit, a little bit pressured to be, you know, good at everything or something. That, so definitely there are positive values. Where would we be without positive role models and inspired by the care that our parents and teachers have given us and so you know that's that's I'm glad you brought that up so it's part of the shaping maybe those are the directions that were very well developed you know and it's not that we want to shrink everything down we want to just open up where we're closed and stay open where we're open and and uh, so uh, so the balancing of not identifying 
and yet opening the heart to compassion for the places that are stuck and that are not that are still somehow not open it's all very nice you know and I, I love these stories and it's I love that swiftness of wake up you know but and you do in a moment you can feel a moment of waking up and then later you're caught up again right in some kind of frustration or self-criticism or something like that so how to skillfully use the part that's waking up and is able to be more objective and more see things a little bit impersonally or actually radically impersonally the more radically impersonally the better as far as that observer part goes but then bringing the heart into it and having compassion for those parts that are stuck and it's been so incredibly useful to me to have the faith that everything happens for a reason and that basically I don't mean some necessarily glorious ultimate reason but just you know our our whole system is trying to make its way wisdom is trying to make its way and wisdom is growing and when we're a child it's wise to conform to what's going on around us and get fed and taken care of and you know make it through whatever that circumstance was so wisdom is there you know making its way in that environment and then as we grow up some of those constraints fall away but we we're stuck with the habit patterns and that's just because you know we're we're evolved from creatures with a lot of habit patterns and we are still creatures with a lot of habit patterns so we can bring the awareness to seeing the habit patterns as habit patterns and this is where i bring in all kinds of views views from science views from anything i can find that helps me understand oh what's happening right now when i'm really caught up in something okay i have this belief that underneath there there's something self-protective about it and self-protective is not something that we need to hate ourselves for you know it's unwise it's outmoded maybe versions of self-protection but if i can see through what's going on in a mental storm of trying to make a decision typically or being you know upset with myself for some mistake or something taking being able to slow down and bring that be both the observer and the one who still feels hurt you know re, not there's a little bit i mean what's meant by this term spiritual bypassing that you hear a lot is really when you try to make a problem out of still feeling still feeling what you feel you know so we really need to be able to open to and acknowledge the parts in us that are hurt because i don't know you know what science is going to figure about about what it is to be a human being but it seems to me there are so many layers and we're still carrying around a lot of old unresolved feelings that weren't really met with acknowledgement and empathy and so many things dissolve and relax when they're fully met with empathetic acknowledgement so how to be both both the ideal parent to yourself and the ideal and and the person who's still really hurt at the same time and so awareness to me has been a great way to learn cultivating awareness cultivating the kind of the impersonal so the buddha is also aside from science there's the buddha's view like there are the six senses 
There are the five aggregates. All these studies that we study in Buddhism, the 12 links of dependent origination. If you don't know what these are, don't worry. you, You will if you hang around here long enough. But there are ways to analyze your experience and break it down kind of objectively to say, okay, this is a thought that's happening right now, like we had the thought exercise. This is a thought. There's a perception. There's a feeling. That thought triggers a certain feeling, and that feeling is a certain kind of cramp in this place. And that's actually where it's unpleasant. And if I pay attention to that cramp long enough, it can kind of turn into a certain kind of vibration that it's a little easier to be with. And all of that takes you out of the story of, you know, what I'm afraid of or something, into the actual analysis of the experience in the moment. And that analytical ability to break down what's happening into little manageable chunks that you can actually be with each one of them is very valuable. And then sometimes still in the background there's a little voice that says, but, but what about my problems? <laughs> you know, how come I'm not, how come it's not going well? So I found it really useful, a technique that I worked with for a long time, to really explicitly practice these two parts at once. So you, I, I just got a mail from this uh, thing I belonged to the other day that had a little dialogue that summarized this, this approach pretty clearly. But so say you've done, say you've made a mistake, you know, and you've hurt some people, or you, you know, you really didn't want it to happen, and you're just heaping shame on yourself and heaping. You know, you ever do that? Anybody still do that? Even though we all know what awareness is, you know, imagine you've made a mistake that's, you've accidentally sent out some wrong email to 10,000 people, right? Ah! (laughs) So your, your stomach cramps up and you feel awful and it's so easy to fall into, oh, why did I do that? I'm so stupid. And then the little Buddhist part of your mind saying, you shouldn't feel that way. You should be, you should be, have equanimity, you know, and all this goes back and forth and back and forth. So how do you break that down? You know, really working with those situations has been really, really valuable to me. So, you know, this technique uses language to really acknowledge, to make that distance, to say it's both, it's a distance in the mind from identification, but it's not a distance in the heart. So you say, I'm, you, you can put a hand, maybe if your stomach is hurting over this, And you say, yes, I know you're feeling bad. You're almost splitting yourself in two. I'm sensing something in me that's feeling really ashamed and bad about this mistake. That is so different than, I hate that I made this mistake. I'm sensing something in me that's feeling really ashamed and bad about this mistake. So right there, you're both disidentifying and acknowledging that that's what it feels. And then you've acknowledged this ashamed part. There's some other part of you that's actually doing the shaming, right? And that also needs to be acknowledged. So you can say, you can acknowledge what it is saying without either agreeing or disagreeing with it. So there's that disidentifying part. For example, I'm sensing something in me is saying that that was a stupid mistake and I'm wrong and bad. So something, something is saying this is wrong and bad. So then you kind of tune in to that, the motive of that. You know, it is you. You can think it's a part or it's not you or there's no you. And the whole thing about is it you or not doesn't really make any sense. But it's helpful to isolate it as a thread within the mind and the body that thinks, that is saying this was stupid. 
And then this teacher that I've worked with on this understands that those parts tend to be worried about something. So if you can connect with that, that in you that is doing the shaming and say, what is this worried about? What is this afraid of? Eventually, I find that if you keep peeling away like that and really listening to those voices within you that are coming from different places with the heart of wanting to understand them like they were a friend or someone you were listening to, what is it, what is it afraid of? What's it worried about? To me, it inevitably turns into some motive that I can feel a certain tenderness for. Like, I don't want to hurt people, you know? I, I don't... I don't want I I would like there to be a perfect world in which nobody makes mistakes. You know, and those things are not those motives are understandable. They touch the heart in a way that isn't doesn't support continuing to hate yourself for feeling that way. And so in that way, it's using this ability to step back and disidentify from you're not either one. You're like the parent with two squabbling children you know, or two children who are fighting about something. You're, you're observe, the ability to observe is above all that. The awareness is above all that. And the heart comes into it in its empathetic, in its ability to empathize with the real points of view of both parts. And working in this way with unpeeling all the layers of shame and embarrassment and guilt and idealism, over-idealism and you know, and then we get into some heavy stuff, right? I mean, we are going to die. We're not, it's not always all going to be all right. We're going to be sick. We're going to be old. You know, things are going to fall apart. Governments are going to come and go. All kinds of stuff is going to happen. And so looking also helps with compassion with other people, right? Because other pe- once you really see how complicated your own motive structure is and all the things that you want and how the mind filters out information to support this and that thing. The more objectively you can see yourself, the more you understand how other people are built the same way. And at heart, everybody in the country today wants good for their children as far as they understand it, for example. you know, And they have a different set of information than other people have, and they have different experiences that they've put together. In our, you know, it's like... Our, our ability to watch things, you know, we're watching life through a little tiny keyhole pinprick, seeing one thing at a time come in, and we're trying to construct a whole worldview around it. And we're going to miss a lot of stuff. We're going to miss everybody else's point of view. And so it really takes careful skill in listening to each other to understand, and goodwill, this is where metta goodwill comes into it, to understand where people are coming from by really working with yourself and where all your parts that tend to be reactive are coming from. So this is something that I've really learned to be valuable about working with uh, working with resolving those two. I want to read this beautiful quote uh, from there's this wonderful teacher Zenju Earthland Manuel that we she came here and met with some of us a couple months ago wow she was impressive she's a she's a I'm probably 70 something African American lesbian woman so she's been through all kinds of you know suffering in her life from all kinds of input all kinds of difficulties she's a very strong zen practitioner she was so there and she's written this beautiful book called the way of tenderness and I just want to read the, the heart of it where she talks about her kind of finding this. The way of tenderness appears on its own. 
It comes when the events of your life have rendered you silent, have sat you in the corner, and there is nothing left to do but sit until the mental distress or confusion about who you are or who you are not passes. It is a flexibility of perception rather than a settling into belief. It brings affirmation of life rather than of suffering center stage. Instead of sinking into pain and separation, I did a very scary thing. I allowed tenderness, a gentle opening, a softness of mind and body to surface. I followed that opening until the way of tenderness unearthed itself as a liberated path. I say that complete tenderness is an experience of life that trusts the fluidity of our life energy and its extension into those around us. If I were to define the way of tenderness, I would say that it is acknowledgement, acknowledging and honoring all life and all that is in the world fully with heart and body. You know, and a, a lot of her earlier... It's a beautiful book, The Way of Tenderness. I highly recommend it. And it, it, a lot of what she's talking about in there is this little bit of a tendency in the spiritual world to get too hung up on the ideas like emptiness and awareness should do it all by itself and aren't we all the same? You know, and, and kind of not acknowledging the places that are really... that have been formed by a lot of suffering and difficulty. So, in a way, we are all the same, but in a way, obviously, we aren't, you know. And, and to acknowledge how it feels good to meet with a group of people who really understand what you've been through and can fully acknowledge that. And well-meaning people who have not been through that are just kind of not the same as people who actually have been through that. So, you know, she's advocating for the reasons why we have, as we do these days, a lot of support for sanghas of people from different demographics that appreciate meeting with each other and meeting with people who really understand where they're coming from so they don't have to start with the whole explanation every time but they can really really be got you know and so she's working with again this balancing between yes in the abs the absolute sense it's all it is all and the good news is it is all workable and like it's like saying it's all atoms so what's the problem you know it's not there's a little more to it than that for most of us it's it's how they're configured it's how they're pushing on our nervous system and how they've shaped our minds to send tormenting signals to ourselves and so we have a lot of individual work that we have to do to open the way to wisdom. And yet wisdom is what's doing that work too. So we have this wisdom. And uh, I, I also really want to really stop here so you can talk to each other. Um, another wonderful book I read, there's a man named Howard Thurman who's a, an African-American Christian minister from the last century who also traveled in India, very, very open-minded guy, very interesting guy. I loved his autobiography. He says, there's something in every one of you that waits and listens for the sound of the genuine in yourself. It's the only true guide you will ever have. And that is very true. And on a more impersonal perspective, Ajahn Amaro, who I also love, he says that what, what we can trust is that this is a self-adjusting universe. <laughs> so in a way, you're not doing... Were you born? You know, did you make yourself? You know, you're not doing it. You're whatever you were born into knows how to f fix and adjust itself that it's brought you here and it will carry you forward so those are some thoughts about integrating this impersonal not self perspective with uh, 
where the rubber meets the road, where we're really still suffering from lots of clinging and inner confusion. So, why don't we have a few minutes to get in a group? Okay. I don't know. Should we get in a group, or do you want to have a big group discussion? (coughs) You want to get in a group? Okay, get in a group. Get in a group of three or four. What? You want a big group discussion? Big group discussion? Small group? Okay. All right, we'll do a little bit of both, but we're short on time. So just turn to two or three people near you. And honestly, I don't... I had a different talk, and I have different questions. So what I'm just going to ask you is, what what are you thinking about all this? Okay, so just share your thoughts on this whole subject of how how is the not self teaching helpful to you? Something like that. How is it puzzling to you? Just just uh, share your thoughts on that. Okay. I really appreciate you taught us uh, right before the break how to work with our habits, old habits, or you know, our conditioning. Um, that's another reason I was so. Um, uh, appreciate what Ursuline say it's this tenderness because um, living this old when I form the habit the habit is very strong and even though sometimes I see it I keep on stepping in the same loophole and um, immediately the judgment voice come up and some layer on top of each other and that one is famous, you know, being a Buddhist, you're supposed to be blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, um, 
So, um, so much tenderness and and uh, compassion to myself. But this image, Dave, David just shared with us this morning, like you open a door, then you meet, you greet yourself. It's so powerful. You know, just go back to yourself. And um, so I really appreciate another thing, Chris, you mentioned about the selfing is so... Um, it's a fluidity. It's like sometimes I do need to have a strong self in order to get through, you know, the social things. Um, but at least I don't grasp it. I can let it go. And when I need it, it's here. When I don't, and uh, I can relax about that. So I still don't exactly know what selfing, not selfing is, but when I hear that, it just relaxes me. It's okay. It, I don't need to know the formula and uh, just be with it. Self is just a word that we're putting on things. And when we feel really grounded and strong and clear and integrated and coherent, When we feel really grounded and strong and clear and integrated and coherent, that feels good. If we want to put the self on it, then fine. You know, to me, it, it helps sometimes. It kind of pulls things together in a good way. You know, and I and I've, I think it's fine to, you know, what does the word mean? Use it. It's just a word. You know, but really we're talking about that kind of strength and coherence and clarity and not so often what we... Th- and that whole other teachings that have been so helpful to me is this understanding that actually we're really trying to be our fully subjective, our full unimpeded kind of subjectivity, which doesn't mean your views and opinions and everything that happened to you, but just being really grounded in your own core. Then you don't have to think about yourself all the time. You don't have to take yourself out and talk about yourself and look at yourself and worry about yourself, but you're just there, you know. Mm-hmm. And, but you are representing your, your, your position in the universe. You know, you haven't obliterated your point of view in favor of any other point of view. You're just open to, you can be open to everything, you know. But there's a way in which this idea of opening to everything and being one with the universe, you can kind of vacate, you can think, in trying to do that, you can think that you're supposed to kind of vacate yourself and go out. But I've found some teachings very powerful that actually it, the more it opens out from your core. So the more you're really in your own core, the more you can really let go of all these false rigid boundaries that you've put up between you and the world so that you do have these experiences. There are these lovely experiences of really not not self not non-duality not no separation between you and the world but it's not you're not really thinking about it in that moment it's an experience that doesn't leave you at all feeling unsafe and ungrounded and like you've been obliterated there's you're not thinking i'm obliterated you know you're you're feeling it's a beautiful feeling and so it's really just letting go of a lot of the thought structures that get in the way of having that feeling if you want to call that not self, you can. But it's not, you know, I don't know. 
I'm not, I'm not claiming also to be at the end of this path or anything like that. So there could very well be many more dramatic experiences that I have not had. Certainly, certainly could be. But I find this way more fruitful toward moving toward them. Please. Well, I was just thinking, you know, presence. Yeah, presence. Just presence, presence. yeah. yeah just right. feeling embodied, embodied presence. presence. Embodied just presence. being here, embodied. And, and, then, and then, you know, you can include everything. Everything that comes in is fine. There's a teaching in the suttas about when there's no place for things to land, you know. So, and I, I understand those really as, as you know, what we conventionally call triggers or you know constrictions or places that scare us when something lands. Somebody insults you; it's landing somewhere if you're going to suffer from it, you know. And so, working to release those landing places, you do. There is a sense of lightness and openness and spaciousness that comes from that yeah you can come back to silence come back to to, you can always come back to the center include everything and then let it let it this you know when it's not there just come back to silence silence is the center of it I remember Gil referred to it as Teflon you know having this I love that sense of there's nothing to stick there's still a person but it's not sticking it's a Teflon I really uh, I'm a gardener and I got gave a lot of thought to what you said about um, cultivating the space where we can allow ourselves to change and I noticed that that's so true for me the earlier part of my life I did the opposite I looked for places that distracted me so I wouldn't have to feel anything. Yeah. And um, th- I'm, as a gardener, I, it made total sense. I mean, if you, even if you just have a Petri dish, you know, you've got to put the right stuff in it and put it in the right amount of light and the right temperature in order for it to thrive. Any, any house plant is the same. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've got to be a little more complicated than that, but... Not so much, really. Mm -hmm. So uh, I appreciated that. But I wanted to ask you about the quote you made about becoming genuine, kind of like following the genuine. Could you repeat that if you Mm -hmm. know it? Yeah. Is that who it was? Oh, yes. Yeah. There is something in every one of you. I'll mail it out. There is something in every one of you that waits and listens for the sound of the genuine in yourself. It is the only true guide you will ever have. Yeah, I had a lot of I had a lot of quotes in this talk I didn't quite give, and uh, I was. Uh, I've always real. I've been served by realizing that there's something in me that recognizes this, that resonates. You know, when I read something wise, you can think, "Oh, they're so wise." Somebody was saying earlier, "Oh, they're so wise. I should be like them." Well, there's something in you that has recognized that. You know, and you can focus on that in you, which resonates with that 
that's your wisdom that knows that that's wise you know and you can head in that direction but you can head there with inspiration instead of with you know shame for not being there already So not so much a question, but sort of a comment on the reading. There was an um, excerpt, I think, by Gill where he said that to really deeply see into the three characteristics, it's actually helpful to cultivate the opposite. And mm-hmm. I just really resonated with that, yeah. that yeah, having stability allows the mind to see impermanence and having a confident and healthy sense of self actually supports the opening into anatta. And so I, well, maybe my question is kind of like I just came out of retreat and part of me just kind of knows that like I need to have more inner strength I want to develop that and not on retreat right now so I got to find a way to develop it on you know in daily life and I feel like being part of this parami course is you know that's the paramis are ways to develop that inner Mm -hmm. strength and Mm -hmm. um I yeah just feeling like that's a something going on for me right now that feels strong and feels like the right direction for me Mm -hmm. good it's interesting do you know Kristen Neff She's a big name in the self-compassion world. She sort of started that. It's very interesting to me that her latest, uh, her latest part of her journey and her newest thing is called the yin and yang of self-compassion. So she's been very focusing on the soft yin side, you know, and that now she's kind of coming around to, well, you need some strength, you know. You need to stand up for some stuff. And so she's got the, she's trying to bring in, how to bring in the yang element as a, as a piece of self-compassion and that strengthening. So I've been working a lot with this body, body awareness process that really is strengthening, you know, the inner connectivity of where, where I'm not sensing in the body and where does it feel good to have the flow going through there and where are things cut off. And, you know, I like to work with imagining or remembering times when I felt really strong and present. What did that feel like? And you know, or if I imagine myself standing there being very firm and, you know, not angry, but just firm and strong, what does that feel like? And what would be supportive if there were, like, more backbone in this section of the back and things like that, you know? It seems a lot to do with the body, the feeling of, the feeling of strength and groundedness. It's really opening up. Oh, there's a lot of bound places in the body that are keeping us off balance and preventing us from feeling our strength so yeah it's 10 after if any of you are in a hurry sorry about that you're welcome to leave if you need to you need to leave David? in about 10 minutes I have to go Uh, I just want to say um, I um, as a grandparent and parent and wife I also um, I notice that people wait for me to say the truth. Like, that is not okay. Uh-huh. You're five. Or, you know, just because they hear that truth, they wait for it. And it's like um, they're waiting for to hear it. Because, and they receive it. And I know that they receive it in a way that, you know, that they can see that's true. Yeah. That's a better idea. And so, um, yeah, I just wanted to say that knowing your truth is really important for others as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. David, would you also send out that quote that you did about opening the door to yourself? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, I'll put together uh, the uh, mailing on the okay. poems and quotes from this session. Okay. I didn't say anything about energy. That's what's next. And, uh, you know, we'll be starting mailings on that tomorrow. And uh, it's very related, actually, to where we're going here. You know, how to get yeah. some energy. And, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not a, not a passive, wimpy sort of practice, exactly, either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay. Thank you. You're welcome to stay for lunch if you can. <laughs>